0: Well, we are looking at the parents of, Joseph, of Moses here tonight. That is all we're going to work to cover. I put this question up there for you. Do you ever perceive that God had a hand in something and God really wanted you to do it? You felt the pull for God to do it. You felt drawn into the thing and then you went ahead and you did it. And as you did, you were kind of thinking that, well, if God really wants me this involved in this thing, and then certainly God has, uh, he's going to get involved too. And you have certain expectations of what that involvement would be, and sometimes we get involved with it, and we're going along, and it doesn't seem like God is holding up his end of the bargain. It seems like we're carrying all the weight, or we're doing all the work, or it didn't mean I'm, I'm sure if you, if uh, somebody really sat you down and asked you, you're not going to say say that. No, of course God's involved, but you just can't see it. And it's not happening the way you thought. We're going to see that that that's something that happens here tonight. As we look at Hebrews chapter 11 verse 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. And they were not afraid of the king's command. Now we're going to do like we have done in the past. We're going to take this scripture and we're going to compare it with the actual event and what had gone on. But we're going to first take a look at this. Here to start off, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months. So he was hidden, or kept secret, is what that word means, to hide or to keep secret. So they felt like that they could keep an infant a secret. Just think about that. What do infants do? Cry, Cry, they make noise. There's no real way to communicate, so all they can do is is cry, make noise. So you're going to keep this secret. Now, it's not like there are no cries going on amongst the Israelites. Because as long as it was a girl baby, it was fine. The ones that they were out to kill were the boy babies. So it wasn't that well, just because there's a cry that that would attract attention. So somehow, though, they felt like they could keep this a secret. They could keep it keep it um, away from, from those who were trying to know so it says that when he was born, he was hid three months by his parents. Now he emphasizes the three months here, talks about the three months, but doesn't talk about why it was three months. It just says three months. Because they saw he was a beautiful child. Now this word for beautiful is translated in the King James Version, a proper child. So I looked around on the other translations to see what was done, and in the ESV, the CSB, in the New American Standard Bible, and the NET Bible, all of those translate this word, beautiful. That he was a beautiful child. Now, how many people give birth to a baby and call him ugly? I don't know too many people that do that. Now, other people going to visit them might say, oh, what a beautiful baby, and go away and man, that was the ugliest kid I ever... Maybe they might do that, but certainly the parents, none of them ever do. They... Uh, they, they expect there to be a certain amount of uh, decorum where the people come in, you know, you're course going to call my child be- uh, beautiful. And they would say this, but this takes on another, another level. They didn't just look at this baby and say it was beautiful and therefore we're going to risk our lives. It's, it, that's what they're doing. They're going to risk their lives. There were other, other people who had baby boys. I'm sure they thought theirs were beautiful too. So I did some study on this word. The New Living Translation translates it this way. They saw that God had given them an unusual child. So what does this word mean? Now, if we look up the actual word, it's a compound word. It, well, it's not a compound, but it comes has a root word to it. The root word for this particular Greek word is the word for city. And when you break this word down, what it's basically saying is uh, of the city. Of the city. Because they're saying of the city, where people are interpreting that to be, all right, well, he has traits of one of the city. Have you ever seen it? That, you know, certain people walk around and say, well, they're probably from New York. All right, because they have certain traits about them. They're probably from New York. Or if you see another one, they're probably from New Orleans. They have certain traits about them that you may be familiar with because you're familiar with that city. And if you see them, have you ever been to... Sometimes the way people talk, uh, we can kind of place them as to the where they came from. Don't just say that they're Americans. They might be New York Americans because of the way they pronounce certain words. Or Boston. Boston has certain ways they pronounce different words, and it's, it's very different. In fact, in Boston, they call things differently than, than we do. And uh, some of their vocabulary is not something that we're familiar with. And I think I told you the stories about that and up in college. As people came from Boston, they're looking for the bubbler. It's a water fountain. Right. If you um, if you go to, uh, I think we, we, when I was young, we were in this church, and we had a particular couple. They were from Canada, and they would go around. They would they would uh, going around church and they said we had to go shopping for a Chesterfield. And I guess uh, there was a certain brand of cigar or cigarettes. That went by that particular term. And so people in the church were thinking they were going out looking for smokes. Well, in Canada, Chesterfield, if I have that, that term right, is actually a sofa. <laughs> so that was, that was very different. But you see, sometimes our language makes us uh, uh, unique to uh, where we came from. Certain words in uh, Philadelphia, if you're born in Philadelphia, uh, I, I was born in Philadelphia, but apparently not in there long enough to pick up some of the lingo. But people do not have water; they have water. If you come from the the, the city, apparently that's uh, the way that they pronounce it. and They pass it on on off to other people. I believe I'm not sure if it's just unique to Philadelphia, but over in Philadelphia, I know that the people there have stoops, and they would sit on the stoop and and uh, and do stuff. But Anyway, there's uh, different things like that. You can place people by their vocabulary, by their accent, by maybe the foods they like. Y- you can tell where well, you are of them because you have certain traits of that particular thing. Now, Stephen uses this exact same word. And this word is only used twice in the New Testament. Only two times. And Stephen uses this exact same word over in Acts chapter 17 to describe exactly what the writer of Hebrews is describing. Let's read that. Acts chapter 7, verse 17. We're going to go on through verse 20. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. till another king arose who did not know Joseph. The man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they they might not live. At this time Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God. They translated it well-pleasing here, not beautiful. Same Greek word. And he was brought up in his father's house for three months. Now, see that both of these instances are denoting that Moses was of the city. That he was of the city. Now, what city would they have in mind? Not that these, these parents didn't put him aside because he was so beautiful. They saw traits of the city in him. Now, it can't be the city the Pharaoh's in because he had no contact with Pharaoh at this point. So, what city are they talking about? The writer of Hebrews has mentioned a city a few times. Remember, Abraham was looking for a city, but a city was not of this world. That's in the same context as this. It would seem that if he has in mind a city that Moses was of, the city would be the city of God. That something about the child Moses gave the parents the impression that he was of the city. That God had a special purpose for him. That there was something about this baby being born that showed them that God had a purpose, that God had a plan, that He was of the city of God. Now, would you risk your life for something like that? Not just that it was a beautiful baby, but they saw something about this baby. Whether they saw it physically or they perceived it in their spirit, they saw something about this baby that made Him of the city. And by context, with the writer Hebrews, we're going to, probably assume here the city of God. So Moses' parents saw or perceived something in him that was worth taking a risk for and risked their lives to hide him. Now, did they have a plan that wasn't playing out or did they think that because he was special God would supernaturally protect him? Something about Moses caused them to put their lives at risk and hide them because if the baby is found and they're disobeying the uh, slave masters, what what do you think would happen? They would kill them, and they may even by, uh, by uh, effect kill the brother and sister uh, or they would be left motherless and somebody else had to pick them up, but that would alter all kinds of things, but they decided to risk it. So, if you have a plan, you, if you see this baby, God has a call on his life. God, there's something about this baby that is unique. Something about this baby that is unusual. Something about this baby that tells us he's of God and that God has a purpose on his life. So, we're going to take a risk. Then they set out to hide him. Now, how, how far down the road are they thinking? Are they expecting to hide him until... He's a teenager? Are they expecting to hide him until he's three? What what are they thinking? I mean, if you're, if you're going to make a plan, we're going to hide this baby. Don't you have to make a plan? Well, how long can we do this for? And then afterwards, he's not going to be a baby anymore. What are we going to do then? What's their, what's their end result? What's their end, what's the end plan on this thing? You have to do some kind of thinking about it. You can't just go in the emotion, Hey, we're going to protect this baby. What's going to happen down the ride? No, down, the, down the line on this thing? What's going on? So are they expecting that if we obey God and protect this baby and put our lives at risk, that God will show up too? And that God would do certain things to keep this baby protected so that we can raise this baby and uh, bring him to a, a place where he won't be killed anymore. I don't know if they dressed him up like a girl. I don't know if they, you know, put bows in the hair or braided his hair whatever they did they tried to do something to hide this baby either hide the fact that he was a male or hide him altogether but somehow they had to come up with a plan on this so that's why we asked the question Do you ever perceive that God had a hand in something that God wanted you to get involved in something and you did and you kind of expected God to come through on a certain matter and you didn't see that happening Maybe you're going to take on something for God that's going to involve finances. And, all right, God, I'll take this on. I don't have the finances for it, but I trust that you're going to provide them. And you step on out there for God to provide them, and it doesn't seem like they're coming. You answer the call of God on your life. All right, God, I see that you're wanting me to do this particular thing over here, and you step out to do it, and it doesn't seem like God's holding up his end. The anointing doesn't seem to be there. Things don't seem to be going, right? Did I miss God on this thing? Uh, you know, there's only so much that I can do. I need God to, to come through in certain things. And we come up to a certain part here in, in this verse, uh, verse three. It says that when they could hide him no more. Well, actually, that's over to Nexus. We'll get on over there in just a, just a minute. But they get to a spot where they've exhausted everything they can do. And have you ever been to that place where you're taking on something for God and you exhausted everything that you can do? And you, you held out and you did all that you could do, but it seems like there's nothing more. You exhausted all of your resources. You exhausted all of your energy, all of your talents, all of your abilities. You put everything that you had in it and it hadn't happened yet. So what are you going to do here? So that's where the the writer here lets us lets us know. So the faith pointed out here is in the hiding of the child, not in all the things that came afterwards. Because the writer of Hebrews, all he points to, is that they hid the child, and that went on for three months. The faith didn't, that he's pointing to didn't go on after that. It went on for the hiding of the child for the three months that they hid it. So that's what we have to keep as our our, our goal here. Got to keep that as uh, our focus. Now picture yourself in the shoes these folks trying to hide a child. Trying to hide a child. Now when you got mom and dad because we got Amram and we got Jacobed and we have both of those folks that are involved uh, do you think that one was more convinced than the other? It seems like no matter what God tells you to do, one person is always more convinced of it than the other person is. Or if they're both convinced, as you step out and begin to go in that direction, the opposition can cause one to get discouraged quicker than the other. So at some point, they were probably were unbalanced. They may have started out balanced, but I'm going to say somewhere along the line, one of them may have been coming afraid. We, we can't seem to hide this, this baby anymore. We came really close. They almost discovered what was going on here. Um... And however it was, whether they were trying to hide him completely or hide the fact that he was male, they were trying to do something. They may have even had to try and hide this from the rest of the Israelites because there may have been some Israelites who'd turn them in to get favor for those who were the masters over them because there are people that will do that sort of thing if I can get favor. There may not have been, but there could have been. So they may have faced enemies not only in the Egyptians, but also amongst the Israelites. As well. But something happened that caused them to give up hiding. Something happened that caused them to give up the plan to hide this baby. And so they decided to put him in the Nile. So let's go on back here to Exodus chapter two, verse one. Exodus chapter two, verse one. And a man of the house of Levi went and took his wife, a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. Now, we skipped over all kinds of stuff here because apparently it wasn't important. Now, who's writing the book of Exodus? Moses is. All right. What did he skip over? The birth of Aaron, who was three years older than him, and the birth of his sister, who is apparently, from the story, older than Aaron. Aaron. It sounds like they got married and then here come Moses. Doesn't it sound like that? But what actually happened? They got married, they had Miriam, had Aaron, and then they had Moses. But Moses leaves all that out. (laughs) He just goes right to right to this part. Now he brings them in eventually, but not here at the beginning. And so again it says, and when she saw that he was a beautiful child. Now, I don't have the notes on the Greek words that I have on the Hebrew words, so I can't get into that too much outside of uh, all I could find out was that it was a beautiful child. But she hid him for three months. Now, the command, let's go back and take a look at the command. And I did not copy that in. I'll read that off the screen. Exodus chapter 1 and verse 15. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives of whom the name of one was Shephrah and the name of the other, Pua, And he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on their birthstones, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God, did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. Now hold it right there for a minute. The midwives were more afraid of God than they were Pharaoh. And so they did things as well to preserve the lives of the babies. In general, not specifically for one that was called of God or beautiful or special or unusual, whatever it might be, um, but they feared God, and they didn't want to kill any of them, and so they made up a lie. And they said, "Well, you know, they're just so uh, they have their kids so fast, we can't get there quick enough." And then they see that the child's not dead, and so we can't uh, we can't do anything because the king's idea was to do this under the under the table so nobody would know about it. But that didn't work out. So we go to verse 18. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. Now that's um, that's a tough thing. So it would seem that they were expecting that the parents, if they had a boy, would throw them into the river. It may have been that the taskmasters were supposed to do it if the the parents didn't. But um, if the command was to go out to the parents and they didn't obey... I'm sure the fear was on them that the taskmasters found them that uh, they would be thrown into the river or killed or whatever it might be. But you have a lot of babies going into the river now, into the Nile River. And the reason they did it was because they were afraid they were be becoming so pop- uh, so many people, so populated, then the males are the ones that are going to take up arms. They didn't have to worry about the women. They were concerned about the men who could rise up and, and battle their guys and perhaps they have enough of them, They can overpower us and we'll lose them as being slaves. We'll lose some things in the country, whatever it might be. They didn't want to go through that. So they were afraid. Fear is what caused it. Same thing as when Jesus was born. Fear is what caused them to put to death all the male children in his day. And it caused them to to do the same thing here. And the woman, so the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. Then it says when she could no longer hide him in verse three. Now I get from that verse of scripture right there that if she could have, she would have continued to hide him. If she could have, she would have done it. Now when she could no longer hide him, it seems like she was more involved in the hiding, which would kind of make sense because she was nursing him, she was taking care of him. You know, um, she was the mom. I'm sure he was out having to be a slave during the, the daytime, and so it was up to her to hide him. And she had to come to a point and said, "I can't hide him anymore. We're going to have to do something about that." And you got to—that's got to be a tough thing. But the faith is pointed at for her hiding him for three months. The faith is not pointed out for her putting him into the ark. The faith is her hiding him for three months. That's what has set it aside. And the fact that she saw something about him. The translators put it as beautiful. I, I seem to think that it's um, because she saw that he was of the city. Of the city of God. of a, Had a calling on, on his life. That she decided to risk her life. And for three months she did that. Risked her life. But when she could no longer hide him she took an ark of bulrushes for him dubbed it with asphalt and pitch and put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what what would be done to him. So we can't hide him anymore. She had planned to hide him. And this is where I think there had to be some conflict that came in because she's thinking God's Called me to do this. This is all I know to do to hide them, but I can't do it anymore. How many times has God called us to do something, and we step out to do it in our own power, or what we see to be able to be done, and we hit a point where we can't we can't do it this way anymore. And so all I can do is is that we're going to put them in an ark and float them down so that he doesn't sink in the in the river and drown. We're going to float them on down. They apparently knew the schedule, and I their as far as I can tell, their idea was let's get one of the Egyptians to catch hold of them, see them, and maybe they'll see the same thing in him that we see and not want to kill him. And I'm sure that they probably knew the schedule of the daughter of Pharaoh. And so they probably tried to uh, come in line with that. Now, the, the people of uh, Egypt, they were very clean people. And as far as I was uh, told before, they would take multiple baths. They didn't just take one bath in the morning or one bath in the evening. They would take multiple baths. And so this is probably just one of her bath times. She's she's one of the more well-off people. And if she wants to have three or four bath times, she probably could. But anyway, this is where we we have. So his sister, which we assume is Miriam, because we're never told he has any other sister. It is possible it's not Miriam. But we assume that it's Miriam just because there's only one sister mentioned. And uh, it would seem like if this is Miriam, that Miriam's probably in her young teens because of the way that she interacts with Pharaoh's daughter and responds and comes up with ideas how to re- react to this thing. She's not three years old. She's not four or five. She is beyond that. So even if you went as young as eight or nine um, but I would say probably even a little bit older than that when you see the interaction here. So the daughter of Pharaoh came down to the river to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, "This is one of the Hebrews' children." Now when she opened it, the baby cried. I don't know if the baby was crying before him. It seems that she just saw it. She, it doesn't say that she heard it. It says that she saw the, the ark that uh, they had made put the baby in. And then when she opened it, and now it makes the observation that the baby, was, baby cried. So either the baby started crying when she opened it or the baby was crying before. Maybe that helped draw some of the attention. But she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? Now see, that's a bold move. This uh, Pharaoh's daughter all of a sudden finds a baby, and just then, one of the Hebrew girls comes out. Hey, you want me to go find somebody to nurse that for you? Uh, that doesn't seem suspicious. But she went ahead and did that. And so she uh, she had a had a plan. She came up with a plan because it didn't seem like she was sent off with a plan. She said, just watch them. See what happens. See if anybody picks them up. See if uh, you know Pharaoh's daughter gets them. and uh, Just let us know what happens. But she went beyond that. She went all the way up there and got bold and said, hey, you want me to find somebody to nurse a child for you? Because, you know, they don't have formula back in those days. They need somebody to nurse them. And they got all kinds of Hebrew women who lost their babies who are able to, uh, to nurse one. So it's not unusual. For her to be able to find one. Let's see. Verse uh, 8. Then Pharaoh's and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Or who else are you going to call? <laughs> then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me. And I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew. She brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. So she was trying to hide. you know, Fear was coming on her. She was afraid she was going to get discovered. Finally, she says, uh, I don't know what else to do. Maybe this, this uh, idea came up in her spirit. Whatever it was, she uh, made this little ark, put the baby in it, and floated it downstream. Pharaoh saw it. And then she gets called in to do what she has been doing, and now we get paid, and now no one's going to kill me for it. So she still gets to see her son grow up, and now she gets money for it. They're not paying the rest of his life. Pharaoh's daughter is paying her. That's a pretty good thing, right? In it, God had a had a good way. So now all of a sudden she's seeing God's hand in this. Up till now she wasn't, but now she's seeing it. You see, those three months. She was, she did all this she knew to do. God, I don't know anything else to do. I know you've got a purpose for this, baby. So I'll hide it. Because he doesn't have any other direction what to do. And so she hid it. Would have kept on hiding it. But she said, I can't hide it any longer. It's going to come out. It's already been, been, uh, you know, too much has, has uh, gone out already. Uh, it may even be tomorrow that they come from. We got to act on it now. She felt this urgency to go. And so she puts this this out. But for three months, all she knew was that God has a purpose for this baby. I cannot do what they're telling me to do and throw this baby into the river. So the only other option I have is to try and hide it. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, see that faith? That was some kind of faith. She didn't, it says that she didn't fear what Pharaoh was going to do. Didn't didn't fear the command of Pharaoh. Well, something had to happen that caused her to stop hiding. Something, fear either had to come in or she just felt like it was not going to work anymore and the the baby was going to get killed or she was going to get killed or everybody's going to get killed. Whatever it might be. But the child grew. They brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. I guess that's after she she was weaned. She she weaned him, and he became her son. Now, after we don't need the nursemaid anymore, I don't know. Did she still keep coming over when they needed a babysitter? Is the reason that Pharaoh adopted the, the him as a son because she wasn't married, or because she was married and couldn't have babies? we're not told about all those details. I know people make assumptions of it and they make movies of it, but we're not told what those details are. Now, Pharaoh had to go along with this plan too because he knew his daughter, knew she wasn't pregnant. Now all of a sudden he got a baby. Where did that baby come from? Well, it's one of the Hebrew children. I don't know, how how is she going to hide that? I don't see any way that she's going to hide that. She's going to have to come clean with Pharaoh. One of the Hebrew ch- children, but I want to raise them as one of ours. We're going to raise them up in the ways of Egypt. And so somehow Pharaoh got on board with it. He said, "Okay, we're going to have, we'll go ahead and do it your way." So she got a baby, either with or without a husband. She has a has a baby. Uh, as far as we we never get mention of him, of him. If he was around. But his name Moses came because you said I drew him out of water. What was Moses' name before? Because I know that Moses' mom did not name him Moses. Because she didn't draw him out of anywhere. It was Pharaoh's daughter that named him Moses. So when we get to heaven, that might be one of those questions that you have to ask. What did you, for three months you had him, you called him something. You called him something. Now, she comes in to nurse him, and somewhere along the line, that he got named Moses probably fairly early on. It wasn't something that happened after he got weaned. She probably named him that on the first day. I drew him out of there. We're going to call him Moses because that's what that means to be, to be drawn out. So, when she's over there nursing him, do you think she's always calling him Moses, or do you think she called him his original name? Now, if you were the mom, what would you do? in front of Pharaoh's daughter, you'd call him Moses. When you're by yourself, nursing them, taking care of them, changing them, you call him by whatever his original name is. Now, if she established any kind of a relationship with Moses that could have existed after he was weaned. And Pharaoh's daughter seems very appreciative of this uh, nursemaid coming in. As far as she knows, she's just a nurse, nursemaid. Doesn't know anything else about the The mom, she might be suspicious when she sees the close attachment because you're not hiding that. I don't think a mom can hide the close attachment she has to this baby. So she may have uh, picked up this is the, this is the actual mom. It doesn't seem like it ever bothered her if she did. So does the mom keep a relationship up with him all those years? And if so, did the day come when she told him? We are your people. You're not an Egyptian. That could have been part of the the way that it happened. But all those things are not what put her into the Hall of Fame of Faith. What put her and her husband into the Hall of Fame of Faith was that she hid him for three months. And then put him in the ark. That wasn't in the, the Hall of Fame. But then she put him in the ark. And then we see the hand of God take over. We really don't see the hand of God take over until she puts him in the ark. They may have seen the hand of God on the baby, but we don't see the hand of God take over in this situation until they put him in the ark. Up until then, they're hiding them. Now, maybe God was involved in in hiding. I don't know how you hide a a three-month-old. And what was the procedure there? Were they coming in and inspecting all the babies? And were they hidden from that. I don't, I don't know what was going on. But we do know that for three months she hit him and this is what got her in. Now I wanted to go back over to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Ethel was talking about some things, some commonalities at the opening of the service on on Sunday. And I went back and was beginning to think about some of these, these things. So back here at the beginning of the chapter when we first talk about these it says in verse 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Now we're going to talk about the elders, right? So the subject of Hebrews chapter 11 is the elders, the people who came on before, and the faith that they had and what they did. Now the next verse, By faith we understand the worlds. I think I have to look back to see how detailed we got into this. I don't know if I got into all these words or not, but we'll get into them here for you for you now. By faith we understand the worlds which is the word for time periods not worlds in space that's a different one. cosmos is the word that you would use for for that one this particular word is used for time periods and hasn't the hebrew the writer of hebrews talked about time periods different dispensations different time periods that would come out by faith we understand that the worlds or that the time periods were framed that word there for frame means the altering of something already in existence like a powder with clay. Which again, we're not talking about the creation of the cosmos because we're talking about altering things that are already in place. Now since the topic of Hebrews chapter 11 is people who had gone on before, what he is talking about here is time periods that have been changed. Time periods that have been changed. By faith we understand that the time periods were changed, were altered by the Word of God. Now the Word of God there is not the word Lagos. It's the word Rema, which is the spoken Word. So by faith we understand that the time periods, the periods of time, were altered or changed by the Word spoken from God. So that the things which were seen were not made of things which are visible. So what we're having here is that the elders, and this is what happened with each and every one of them, each of them received a word. I believe uh, Sister Ethel was talking about that These uh, these guys hung on to the word that was spoken to them with everything they were worth all the way up until the end. And each one of them did that. But here in verse 3, we see this little added aspect that by faith we understand that the time periods, the periods of time that each of these elders were in were altered by a word that was spoken by God that they believed. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. The things that are seen, the things that alter, the things that happened in uh, and around them were changed by things that were not visible. Now, I have another translation for this that I that I found, and uh, in Titus chapter two, verse twelve. I don't know if I wrote that in your outline or not, but that's a place where we can see the, this word for worlds, teaching us that denying ungodly and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age talk about our present our current time frame but well, let me read this translation to you through faith we understand that different time periods have been completely and radically remolded reshaped by those who received a clear word from god for a specific purpose and then he goes on and begins to talk about noah was spoken a word did the word that noah <laughs> received Change or alter the time period he was in. That the word that Abraham received did it change the time period which he was in? It surely did, didn't it? How about the word that Isaac and Jacob received, and the way that they, the blessing was supposed to go out? Did that change, alter the time period that they were in? Did did uh, did Jacobed and Amram? Did what they do? Did it alter the time period for which they were in? It did, by preserving him for those three months. Uh, you know, you know, get the, the baby out of the infant stage into the three-month stage. Maybe that was more appealing to the daughter of Pharaoh to have a three-month-old than a newborn. I don't know. But they stood on faith. We're not ready to give this baby up yet. We're not ready to throw this baby away yet. And they altered the time frame that they were in. Most of the words that these people received were short. Abrahams probably were a little bit longer than others, but most of them were, were short. Noah built an ark. <laughs> I mean, I was really he gave them a lot more details of what to do. The blessing that Isaac gave wasn't all that long of a blessing. The blessing that Jacob did, it wasn't all that long of a blessing. The command that Joseph made about his bones, that wasn't all that long of a thing. That he was told to do. But he went out there and he spoke it. These were all kind of short words. But the thing was, they were, I put it in your outline this way. We don't need a long word. We need long endurance. We need long endurance. We need to be able to endure until it's over. For Jochebed and Amram, it apparently was three months. Three months of highly intense times. Three months of wondering at night time when the baby's crying. Or in the daytime when Amram is out working in the, in the slave fields, doing the things that slaves had to do. And she's home by herself. Wondering. Am I going to be found out today? But they kept enduring. It says that that she didn't fear the the king's command. I don't care if I die. That's the attitude that she was taking. I don't care if I die. I am not going to throw this baby in the river. Because she felt something from God. She saw something in that child that told her, this one's special. Not just beautiful. This one is special. This one has the call of God on, and this one we need to do something with. I don't know if she knew the whole call about him being a deliverer, but she knew something was unique. She saw something in him, and for three months, she held out. For Abraham, we saw 25 years until that baby was born, and then all those years afterwards that he was alive, all those years that Isaac was alive. And they held on to the Word of God. It was a, a lot more than three months. Joseph, we saw, he was involved in a lot more than three months. And in fact, the command he gave about his bones not being buried, how many hundreds of years was that going on? That was a long, long time. The idea is not how long it takes. The idea is that we have to have more endurance than it is opposition. No matter what the Word of God was spoken to you. No matter how long or how short it is, we need to continue to do it. Brother Hagen would tell us when we were over there at school, we would constantly hear from him. The word that God spoke to him. And it was short, wasn't it? Teach my people faith. I mean, four words. If you ever listened to Brother Keith Moore... His uh, command that he got from God, the ordic the verdict that he got from God, this is what I want you to do. Help Brother Hagen. <laughs> that was it. Help Brother Hagen. I mean a lot of times these words are short. They don't have to be real, real long. But there's a lot of opposition that comes to us while we do it. We have to keep continuing on. We're not looking for long words. Now, no long raiment from God. We're looking for long endurance. You need to out-endure the enemy that comes against that Word that God spoke to you. See, a lot of times when God speaks to us the Word, teach this, do this, minister this way, whatever it might be He tells you to do, we kind of want Him to come back again and tell us in a week or a month. Come back and tell me again. don't be waiting for that. Once God speaks something to you, just hang on to that. And keep on going. And keep on going. Don't let it go. These folks didn't let it go until it seemed that there was no way what they were doing was going to be hidden anymore. Then, if they discovered the baby, then the baby was gone. We've got to find another way. He doesn't make mention of anything coming up in her spirit or that the obedience of putting the baby in the ark... Floating it down the stream. Doesn't make mention of any of that. But that's all that she could see to do. And she trusts it to, re- to release it. And she's eventually called back in to feed the baby, take care of the baby, and get paid for it. This is Pharaoh paying. I don't know that they would pay cheap. I think that would be an insult to them to pay to pay cheap. So she probably got paid pretty well. That's a pretty neat thing to to have happen. But she got a word, it seemed. She hung on to it. And no matter what came against her, she didn't let it go. And because of it, changed an entire period of time. Opened up the door for the deliverer to come. And it's not like, well, God would just find another one. I'm sure God would find another one. But how often does a Moses come along who one man would stand up against the Pharaoh against an army against the Red Sea against the rock against two to four million people at his door ready to kill him. How many people are like a Moses? God had this one had the call in his life he says I know this man I know what he's going to do and they could see something in him that said he is of the city of God we cannot let him come to that fate that the others would come and they stood and they endured so what has God said to you what kind of a word has God given you to do and are you doing it has the opposition come and worn you down we got to have long endurance no matter how long the word is that we got from God Father we thank you that you help us in our life to develop that endurance, to develop that stamina. And no matter what it is that you spoke to us, we can do it. We don't have to be constantly told, retold. You told us to do it. And our endurance is of such that we don't stop. We don't give in to those thoughts. Why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep going in this direction? It doesn't seem like God is holding up his end of the bargain. It doesn't seem like God's helping me out on this. We don't do any of that. We take what you said, and we do it. We thank you for the people and the Word of God that are our examples. And we will learn from them. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.